You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. Thanks for joining us. And Katie and I are always glad to have you. We appreciate you coming back and if you ever want to pop on over to iTunes and give us a rating, we'd love to have you do that. That helps us out a lot. But welcome back to the Modern Therapist Vibe Guide. I am Kurt Widhelm, my co-host Katie Vernoy. And for longtime listeners, you both know that we are very much about advocating. We're very much about having uncomfortable conversations. We're very much about being able to push for new opportunities for people and to kind of delve into the areas that are maybe difficult for some people to talk about. Longtime listeners also understand that Katie and I are very white, and one of the <laughs> things that is something that we've been really dancing around for oh, almost a year now of how to bring up an episode that deals kind of talking very, very directly about race in therapy and race in therapists. And we didn't feel that that was an area that we could come in and talk with an expertise and an authority that would be fair to both sides of the conversation. So we have a good friend, uh, his name's Stevon Lewis. He's joined us today. He's an MFT, and he's kind of the black male therapist of the South Bay of Los Angeles. <laughs> I love that title. <laughs> I like that title. He, he's like he's like the guy, oh, who's the black male therapist, and is is known as this in that area. It's worked out very well in in for him building his practice. But yes, he has come and he's joined us. He's going to help us be able to navigate some of the more difficult questions here. Thank you so much for joining us, Stevon. Oh, man, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. We are so excited to have you, and thank you so much for. Being my friend and being willing to have the difficult conversation with us. Hopefully it's not that difficult. Like Kurt was like all this preamble, like it's going to be this horrible conversation. Yeah, no, I'm a bit nervous. Like, I know, you know, right? Are you guys going to ask me about like what black people like or? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm, I'm not saying that Steve on speaking for all therapists of color here, but he's, he's had some conversations with us, even in setting up this episode of, being able to hopefully navigate this correctly, talk about some of his own experiences and maybe some ways for therapists on both sides of this conversation to move some of this action forward. And go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, we, we always want to make sure you have an opportunity to introduce yourself. So let us know who you are and what you're putting out in the world. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm putting out all things nice Sugar and spice. Uh, no, I'm Stephon Lewis, a uh, licensed marriage and family therapist. I am the director of counseling services at Woodbury University. Uh, it's a small private college in Burbank, California, that probably no one has ever heard of. Uh, <laughs> and, and there I oversee three licensed clinicians and uh, one intern. And uh, we kind of provide psychotherapy to all the students at the university. And in addition to that, I have a private practice in the South Bay in Torrance. Um, where I see uh, couples and individuals dealing with like imposter syndrome or anxiety, depression. Don't you also have a podcast? Nothing is absolute. I do have a podcast. <laughs> We've been on a bit of a hiatus because uh, my co-host decided that he wanted to better himself and he went to get an MBA from USC. So he's in that program. Uh, so we don't have much time to record. But yeah, it was a po it's a podcast about uh, two best friends 
uh, kind of having a hilariously good time talking about current events. Uh, I've known my co-host, Deji Wessie, for uh, decades. Uh, I've known him since I was nice. 12 years old. So we've been hanging together. I've known him longer than I've not known him. Yeah, you've got some great episodes. I would definitely recommend it. We'll put the link to your podcast in the show notes. Ooh, sweet. And you can find our show notes at mtsgpodcast.com. And I'm I'm excited to to start this conversation. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should get started. Maybe that's a good good plan. So Stephon, can you talk to us about some of the barriers that therapists of color face that maybe white therapists don't? Um, I think that for you know, kind of speaking, I guess from my experience, that when you're learning how to become a therapist, that uh, while there are some classes you take on kind of multiculturalism or what have you, or, you know, it's, it's the curriculum and everything is kind of based on, on white norms, right? And so that what you're learning and how you're learning to work with people don't always apply to maybe the population that you're going to be working with or population that looks like you. Um, so I think that's one of the barriers to overcome and convincing or having, you know, those conversations with other therapists or people who are training you that maybe they need to be more mindful or understanding of some of the things that you're experiencing or that you have have experienced as a as a, a person of color in America and understanding how we are working with with these sorts of clients. So I have like some experiences, um, you know, kind of coming up as a therapist where my supervisor was, you know, kind of, I guess, I don't want to say challenging me, but uh, not ready to hear something I was saying about how we might be missing what this kid is presenting or what this what, what, what this client is kind of presenting with. We might be interpreting it incorrectly. Um, and so kind of finding some of those battles. And I can imagine that in you bring up multiculturalism or multicultural classes that mm-hmm. when 95% of the curriculum of the program is based around white norms to yeah. have your particular back, background reduced to one chapter in one book or <laughs> one lecture has to feel really othering. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, oh, when are we going to talk about all of my experience that was my childhood and how I ended up becoming or wanting to be a therapist or all the black people I know or Latino people that I know. Um, and it's like, yeah, you get this one chapter. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, history. You know, you get one month or you get, you know, one chapter on slavery and and then, you know, the rest is about all the European history and everything else that went on. Um, so, yeah, it's like this, this, this part of, well, maybe you start to think as a therapist, like maybe that's not so important until you start doing the work, right? And then like, as, as a therapist, you're like, oh, it's very important. People bring their race, their ethnicity into the room all the time. And if you were kind of missing that piece, then you aren't probably doing the best job you could be doing. How do you think that impacts all therapists with the, the training being so limiting as far as what's being trained? Because I think for me, my personal experience was was moving into South Los Angeles and working mm-hmm. with a lot of clients of color. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of on the, on the job training that I had to go through <laughs> to be able to, to even really get my head around it. And I think I still have that, that issue of not completely knowing enough, um, even though I had a lot of additional training because that's where I was. How do you think therapists should handle that? Because I think some, some schools have gotten better. Some training has gotten better, but there's yes. a lot of us that are still really struggling to have appropriate training. What do you think? Um, I think if, if if I weren't a therapist of color or even being one, just kind of asking other therapists that are of color, you know, how they kind of interact with, with their clients or things that they find important that is often missed or has been missed um, from our, our curriculum that we learn in school. 
Um, also being open to having your clients tell you, uh, not having them to be your teachers for sure, uh, because therapy is about them, but learning from them and being open to that and like trying to understand their experience and how it could be different from yours or how it could be different from what we've been taught. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I mean, the story kind of fits here where I was doing therapy with, uh, I was doing family therapy, um, kind of in South LA and working with a family, um, that were, I guess, kind of more well to do, so to speak. Right. And because uh, I had to go to Florida for a training or whatever and, and kind of doing some therapy out there. And a couple of things happened. I remember one time there was an intern there and uh, she found out where the family lived and she was you know, Caucasian female. And she was kind of taken aback. She was like, oh, they're, they live there. Uh, I guess it was like, I don't know, Coral Gables or something like that. And so some like, fancy place. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Palos Verdes. <laughs> 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 yeah but she was uh yeah she was like kind of surprised like oh wow they live there and it's like yeah you know they family is actually well educated um yeah. but people still have problems right and also kind of in working with that family i was thinking that the kid was kind of depressed he's african-american male uh black kid uh, about 17 years old and i i was just kind of hearing his history and, and listening to him you know he was getting in trouble for fighting at school and you know getting like late to school or missing class um, and all this stuff. And I just felt like he was depressed and trying to communicate that to, to kind of the people who were in charge of supervising me was a bit difficult. Um, they kind of just like, no, he's just a bad kid. He's oppositional defiant. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, there's two things I want to ask first. I guess, I guess a comment and a question. The first mm -hmm. one is it's those kinds of responses. He's just a bad kid. I can't believe they live there. Oh, they're mm -hmm. educated, that kind of stuff. Those are really microaggressions, correct? Like right, I, right. that's the assumption, the bias that's that's really coming out. And, and I think there's a lot of that that just doesn't get addressed. The other piece that I think is really interesting to talk about is this idea of really learning from your clients, but not having them teach you. And I feel like that's something I would love your opinion on that because I've I try to to come in and and ask questions and be curious, but I think there's so much that I need to learn. I, I'm not quite sure how to do it without mm -hmm. having my clients be my teachers. Do you have suggestions on that? And, I, I feel very lost with that. And in addition to that, to kind of piggyback on that, because I think it fits at the same level you brought up about talking with some of your colleagues about some of their ethnic or racial backgrounds and their kinds of things on that is, yeah, I'm cautious of doing that or feeling kind of hesitant of doing that because, you know, is it your job to educate me about, does every conversation with you have to be a multicultural lesson in, in talking with you? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so now you're getting like, you know, uh, multiculturalism 404. Uh, with <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think, um, well, there's this great thing called Google now. Uh, so yes. <laughs> yes. I listen, uh, kind of when I work with, uh, you know, cause I'm working with like college students and, you know, so it's a huge diversity, bunch of kids that come from different backgrounds and lots of different life experiences. Um, they often suggest stuff that I'm totally not hip to. Uh, so sometimes I'll ask them or I'll sort of say, Oh, what's that? And they'll say like, Oh, it's a group. And then, so I'll just go to Google and try to learn stuff about it. Um, so yeah, I think that, but then I think you should also feel comfortable enough and hopefully you've established a rapport with your clients that you can kind of ask like, Oh, tell me more about that. Like, why do you like that sort of stuff? And maybe not yeah. just what is that? And yeah. How does that relate that, to your culture? And please yeah, give me a right. lesson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Not in that sense, but yeah. Like, oh, why do you like that? What's that? Oh, okay. Boom. I'll have to look at that. Um, and I think to Kurt's point, 
there's the the piece of not always, I guess, leaning on uh, your colleagues to be the ones to educate you. But I think, I mean, you and I, we, 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 you guys, we have a good relationship. I think where you could ask me questions and I wouldn't feel, you know, kind of, I guess, like I'm being used or whatnot to, to really share or, or just provide this education to you guys. I think that you guys are coming from a place of really wanting to know and be better at what you're doing that, you know, I would feel honored kind of in a sense. I think that's awesome. But I think there's also this piece of, I just, I get very worried because I, I don't know when I've stepped across that line of I'm asking you to teach me versus I'm really inherently curious. I want to get the right information. And I mm-hmm. also know that we're limited to each of our perspectives, right? right? So I know that you're coming from Steve Vaughn's perspective. I'm coming from Katie's perspective. And so I don't quite know when I've crossed that line. And I think part of it is there's going to be the therapist answer. It depends. But I think that being able (laughs) to have that conversation is critical because I can Google it, but it's still most likely a a very whitewashed version that I'm going to find Mm -hmm. on, on, you know, our our Google references. I mean, maybe not, hopefully not, but I think that there's, (laughs) there's stuff where it's like, I just, you know, like I try to, I try to Google things. I feel like I'm, the oldest person in the world sometimes. And I'm like, what is TLDR or whatever? And I was like, Oh, too long. Didn't read. Like, I was like, how do I, you know, oh I my God, I didn't know what that was. <laughs> I, somebody put like, it started showing up everywhere. And I was like, what does that mean? I like, I'm feeling older and older. I'm feeling less and less knowledgeable. I feel more and more like I, I try to, to, to do as much research as I can, but so often I'm like, okay, first off, I don't want to look stupid. But the second thing is I don't want to get into a place where I am, being inappropriately dependent on my friends and colleagues of color, being, you know, being the person that's seeking a lesson. And, and I don't know if you have any comments or or suggestions for that, but I, I, I'm always trying to be very cautious. And I think I come that I put that forward that I'm coming from a place of cultural humility and curiosity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I think there's still that piece of like, man, I just feel so dumb. And I feel so (laughs) like, and I feel like I know that my bias shows up. I know that there has been at least one occasion that I can think of where I did the whole white girl's tears. And I really didn't mean to like, I know that there's stuff that I've done that I feel a lot of shame and, and, and difficulty managing. And Mm -hmm. I, and I feel like it's, it's hard to have that conversation and be really present with it without feeling like this kind of wall of difference that could potentially pop up. And that's the last thing that I want. So I don't, I don't know what to, I'm going to stop talking and let you talk. (laughs) (laughs) Like you're still doing something wrong, even though you're trying to do something right. That sometimes it feels like it, but I also know that there's probably things I'm still doing wrong and I want to be corrected on them, but I don't want to you know, like I, I want to be in the right space with it. I want to yeah. present, Hey, I really want to be an ally. I want to be humble. I want to do all those things, but I know I'm going to mess up. Help. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's it. I think you come from a place of like, you're trying to, to be better and you don't want to make mistakes. Right. And I think people mm-hmm. will get that, that it's coming from a genuine place of where you want to be respectful. You want to be mindful um, you make you want to make sure that you're not, you know, off-putting to people, and that you're accepting and you're creating an environment yeah. where they feel safe and accepted. Um, and I think that you know that comes across. And if you ask the question about, hey, I don't know what that is, and I haven't been exposed to that, and you know, I think people would be open to to kind of communicating or understanding that. And I don't know that they're going to be as put off or upset with you uh, for not knowing as as you are kind of probably telling yourself that maybe they they have an expectation that you probably wouldn't know. Okay. <laughs> okay. Things, yeah. 
right? So I mean, I think that's that's so, that's so I'm part getting of in my head. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Because I mean, I I walk into a room and I think people like like some of the clients I work with, they expect me to know stuff, and I'm like, yo, I don't I don't really know that. Uh, <laughs> what is that? It's like oh, like you know, now my black card got taken. And it's like oh, I gotta get it. <laughs> To kind of build on that in looking at being an ally, whether it's in regards to race relations, whether it's in regards to other populations that are advocating for more rights, for people in the dominant culture, mm-hmm. white therapists, male therapists, whatever it might be, there's there's the people who really get it. There's the people who are almost there. When those people are Googling, when they're experiencing the conversations, the really difficult conversations around Mm -hmm. not being there and being accused of not being there enough. There's some people who experience that as a, as a, almost as a message of like, if you're not perfect, you're not helping at all. Uh, And I'm wondering what kind of your ideas around, you know, either talking with, therapists were experiencing kind of this this backlash of like you're not there yet like of of being able to take that as a productive message when mm-hmm. when they're feeling i don't know attacked or like not being supportive enough yeah and i think uh that's a that's a really good point cuz it's it's the part of i think it's twofold it's like the part of you know if, if i'm a white therapist or you know therapist from the dominant culture so to speak then there's the i guess responsibility for me to recognize where I might be missing it or falling short or being aware of what experiences, you know, prejudice, not just negative prejudices, but just kind of my beliefs about things that may be different from the person I'm working with, if they're a person of color or like if they're a therapist of color, right? And just being aware of that initially. And then I think there's a part of when, you know, someone doesn't know something, you know, I don't think if there were a client that didn't know something like, oh, you don't know how to use I statements that we're going to chastise them and say, oh, you bonehead, <laughs> you never knew, learned how to communicate. What is so wrong? What is wrong with you? Like, you're so stupid. But if we do that to our colleagues, then I think as a person of color or a therapist of color, then, you know, I, I miss something, right? That I should be in a space where I'm trying to help build people up too and to communicate to them that I'm not attacking and that I'm saying, hey, you know what? You may have missed it a bit, um, but I think you can get there and here's kind of how you might want to think about approaching that in the future. Um, I've been in rooms where there's been conversations about race and in those conversations or in those rooms, I've even kind of been, you know, I guess kind of taken aback a bit because I always feel like white people tend to be on the, the, the receiving end, you know, that like all this years of, you know, whatever the injustices that, you know, may have happened at the hands of white folks, uh, gets kind of brought into the room immediately, and it's I want I now have an opportunity or or soapbox to be able to tell white people what they've done to me and my family and all this stuff. And so I think even though the person's probably not in the room that's responsible for any of that stuff, yeah. Um, and so I think it's it's a lot of that too that sometimes people of color may have that that thing of where I don't associate or I don't interact with enough white people to where now I have this opportunity and they're listening. I've got to let it all out there. How do you recommend kind of the response back to that kind of a, an expression of, you know, historical anger? You know, if it's just kind of like it, if somebody's reaction is like, oh, that, that, you know, that's not me. You know, that's mm-hmm. in some ways being an ally, I've come to understand that that's also kind of part of the historical aggressions against you know people of, you know, all sorts of different protected classes or, or mm-hmm. different minorities. But 
if we don't want to be in kind of that, hey, I didn't individually do this. That kind of <laughs> you got the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. promise it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your alibi, right? No, you're, you're totally right. I mean, I, I think it's not too dissimilar from, you know, being being black and, and walking through life and that maybe people have had some you know bad experience with black folks, uh, but hopefully you haven't had bad experiences with Stevon Lewis. Um, and kind of, I guess, being open Never. to, right. <laughs> awesome. Yes. Um, but, but recognizing that maybe that a person did right. And that as a result of that, that experience that may have been negative or, you know, unpleasurable, then they have some feelings and beliefs and emotions and thoughts about people that might look like me. Um, yeah. and then also kind of, I guess, acknowledging that and then also saying like, well, how can we get to a place of where you can understand or learn that I'm also not that person either? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've had like some really, really unique opportunities, you know, to, I guess, kind of have, have these sorts of experiences where I, I remember I was going to, I was going to be working with a family and they were black. And, uh, I remember I called and like one of the first questions the grandmother asked me was like, are you black? And I was like, oh yeah, I am. Because I was thinking like, oh, she doesn't want a white therapist. And she was absolutely wrong. She didn't want a black therapist. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> yeah, you can't come here. And I was like, oh, I've never had that, but okay. But, you know, I had to get my clinical kind of supervisor to to go out before me and kind of pave the way. Um, and it was due to the family having some really bad experiences with black men. They did some really terrible stuff to this family on multiple occasions. And this grandmother was not going to allow another black male to kind of be around her family if she could prevent it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's such a good point as far as kind of we generalize our experience with mm-hmm. individuals or small groups to the larger group. And I think for me in being, I don't know what the, the this is another place where I don't know what the right phrase is. Is it majority culture? Is it dominant culture? Is it white culture? Um, you know, because I think that there's different things that get different right. connotations, but and and then there's some that that I think have microaggressions built into them. So it's mm-hmm. like I, I'm always cautious, and I think sometimes in what we're saying is like I I end up not speaking because I don't want to say the wrong thing. But I think in looking at this, I think what what happens is when as a white woman, when I'm called out, my privilege, my uh, my bias, my perspective is called out. It's very uncomfortable, and I think. I can feel myself getting defensive. So of course I I take a breath and I try to think through Mm -hmm. it. But I think even in some of those moments with what Kurt's talking about, where it's, I become the representative of all white people. um, And and I'm going to be taught what I need to be looking at. I think oftentimes for me, it's painful. It feels unjust. But then when I actually put it in the perspective that you're talking about, that that's kind of how in your experience, black men walk around all the time having that, you know, the, the expectations of a whole mm-hmm. culture, a whole, you know, set of people that it, it kind of puts that part in perspective. And then I think it also, it just, it's one of those things where it's a complete shift of how I look at things. I mean, even I was reading, this was in a totally separate, separate context, but I was reading, I think it was a, a, a writer's group where they were talking about how, in descriptions of people, there are microaggressions in books. And so if a person is not described, they are considered white. 
And if they are oh. described, if you start describing their skin color or whatever, then then they're of another race. And so the assumption is always that. And so that just blew my mind because I think it, it each each time those points are made, each time I'm called out on that privilege right. or on that that lack of perspective, it's hard. It hits at the shame that I yeah. feel over what, what white people have done to people of color and that kind of stuff. But I think it also just it blows my mind. It's so hard to get my head around because it's so ingrained in the culture. It's so ingrained in the American culture yeah. anyway that that's that's the perspective. That's the normal, you know. And right. And and so to me, I feel like it's so painful. And I think so many people don't necessarily either have the resources or know how to access the resources to manage those conversations. And I think that's something where part of me is the, the therapist, the, the compassionate person's like, how do we have these conversations in an easier way? How do we nurture these people? And it's like, well, part of me is just like, okay, buck up and deal, dude. But like yep. there's other part of, are we, are we creating divisive, are we making it worse? Is it making it more divisive? Are we pushing away people who are trying and feel like they, they're they like, I'm an ally, I'm trying, I know I've got bias, but the bias is big. It's like, I know I have all of this to manage, but I'm, I'm struggling, you know, like, do we, you know, how do we, and I, I'm not expecting you to have the answer for everyone, but mm-hmm. <laughs> of, of like having the conversations that can bring us together while still creating this a massive amount of mindset perspective shift that needs to happen to really create the kind of changes that are needed to create more equality, to create more opportunities. Right. And so anyway, I, I have, I just, I feel concerned about it because I think that especially in the current culture, there's so much conversation that's going mm-hmm. towards an us, them perspective. And I don't want therapists to be promoting that as well. Right. And I think that like you bring up a really good point because I don't think that, you know, people of color are the only people that should be talking about race issues. For I think sure. you need people who are white and, you know, who with dominant culture, I don't know the appropriate terminology, <laughs> but I'm saying we need some white folks. We'll, to be we'll just assume that Steve on means it in the good way. So if, yeah. you're, if you're at home, just interpret it in the good way. <laughs> right, 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 right. I'm no, no shade here. I'm not trying to <laughs> cast out any bad vibes. But yeah, we, we need we need white people to, to talk about race. We need the white, white people to be in the room and be willing to have the conversation. I also think that people of color can't always kind of use those opportunities to just poke at or call out uh, the white folks that are in the room, um, but to kind of give space to like, hey, look, they are also not kind of, you know, not all white people were the KKK hanging people, right? That, you know, the Underground Railroad was uh, successful in doing part because we had white allies. So it's it's about, you know, having having people in the room that don't look like us willing to have that conversation. And we need to kind of embrace that and also, I guess, kind of promote and, and acknowledge that, hey, you guys are part of this and for this to be successful, it might feel uncomfortable at first. Yeah. But the more we do it and the more we talk about it, the, the more... I guess, kind of success we will have overall. I want to go back to something that you mentioned kind of at the beginning of the episode when we were talking about therapist training mm-hmm. and in kind of having so much of the therapy curriculum being based around kind of white norms mm-hmm. in your own development. Did you ever feel pressure to pull back on your own racial experiences in order to kind of fit this white therapy model? Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think that 
I, I, I don't know that it was conscious, but now that I look back on kind of my training, I don't think that it was ever, I guess, talked about for me that I bring being black into the room, right? Being a black male into the room. I think, mm-hmm. you know, just the way I was taught. And so I, I don't know if it was explicit. It was probably maybe a little bit more implicit that, you know, don't talk about race and stuff like that. Just kind of make sure that I'm doing what I can to connect to people or, uh, you know, it was the focus on, you know, sit this way, speak this way, um, you know, have this amount of eye contact, which, you know, might be different from how I am normally. Um, but yeah, I think that I, I had to be kind of more aware of that, but it wasn't stated explicitly. Uh, but I think it was something I learned and, you know, going through my program, I was kind of like the only black male in the program. Um, I think there was like one, there was one other black person, uh, for one year. And then another one came in like the second year I was in it. But yeah, I mean, it was, it's, it's, it's not ever talked about. So it's kind of hard to say that it was explicit, like that I had these explicit barriers, but I think it was more of just kind of unconscious that, Hey, you know what? I need to kind of do things how everyone else is doing it. Can you maybe for people who are going through trainings now, can you talk about what that feeling is to make it maybe more in their awareness as they're experiencing it and some ways that they can potentially advocate for themselves to be able to bring their background, their ethnicity, their personality and their personal experiences from the beginning of their training rather than going through this and needing to reflect much later on in their development. Oh, for sure. Uh, like if I could talk to 26 year old Steve, I <laughs> <laughs> some inner child work here, but kind of middle adulthood. So <laughs> Uh, I would tell him, um, no, I would, I would, cause oftentimes I, I, I felt like I ended up being the, the person that, you know, got looked to when it's like, well, are we doing this right? Or, uh, you know, and it's like, well, I'm just Steve on. I only know kind of me in my experience. Um, but what I would say is I would say, you know, to, to speak up more or be more vocal about race and saying like, Hey, you know, here's my experience and here's how I navigate the world. And so how do I do that in the context of this is how I navigate the world that, you know, I'm not, you know, most of my cohort was female, so I'm not female. So how do I do that as a male? How do I do that as a black male? Um, how do I do that with uh, clients that may not have ever seen a black male therapist? Um, and so getting getting the class to be thinking about or even my professors to be thinking about how we need to, uh, you know, how are we going to, I guess, mold this teaching we're doing to be able to work and be effective uh, for every therapist that we're training, um, and how is that going to impact clients as a result of that? Um, that's what I, I guess I would just kind of have more discussion about it. That say like, hey, you know what? I I don't know that this will work for me. I should have said that more. Mm, as opposed, awesome. I think I just went behind the scenes and tried to figure that stuff out. And I think to me, even when you were talking, I kind of my brainstorm that kind of expanded out. And I think this is something that Kurt and I talk about a lot is really having the conversations about what each of us as individuals bring into the room. Mm -hmm. And I was trained a million years ago, so I'm hoping that there's less of this blank slate. Like, of course, you're not bringing anything into the room. Um, But I think it's it's having those conversations of how we're perceived, how we're... society looks at us and how that might impact the relationships we have with our clients. I think so much of being a therapist is the relationship and who we are as individuals factors in. 
Mm-hmm. And we are so much more than a blank slate that can say, and how does that make you feel? You know? And <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> Wasn't it cool? Yeah. That was that's, good. Yeah. And so to me, it just, I think it, it it's, it's such an important shift. And I think if we could do more of that, I think some of the, the lack of training around differences would be addressed at least a little because we'd be talking about individual differences mm-hmm. in the classroom. Mm-hmm. You know, how, who are we as individuals and how does that show up differently for each of us in the therapy room? That seems like, I think, I think that needs to become required, a required class. What do you think, Kurt? Sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> are you going to teach it? I, I wish, I wish. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take that class. I'll take that class. I think maybe 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 we could all put it together. So one of the questions we ask everybody, and I this is very broad, but I wanted to to have kind of as our last question, this question, which is, what do you think that therapists most often get wrong? Ooh. <laughs> you know, an easy one. Just you know, just a little bit. Oh man, what do I always get wrong? No, uh, <laughs> not you. What therapists in general get wrong? Oh yeah, my friend, my friend. I heard that people. Get this <laughs> Uh, I think I think what therapists get wrong most um, is I guess that that they don't have a right to have feelings about the people they're working with. Um, I think I think for for me, I'll, I'll speak. I'll, I'll put myself out there. Um, right. There's sometimes I mean, like there's the, the the shame about like maybe this person, and I mean it's probably the whole counter transfer sometimes or whatnot. Uh, I think, you know, we try to label it that, but sometimes you feel like you can help a person, but you know, you might also not like the way they do things that, you know, maybe they're moving a little bit slower than you think they, they could. And, you know, you having to be more patient. And I think the the therapist part of me is like, you know what, it's if therapy's at their pace and you, you know, you're in the room and you're on their, you're on their journey and you're, you should be happy to be a part of their journey. And it's like, I am, but also I think we can be getting somewhere in the journey. And I think it's the, I, I feel guilty for having those feelings of being like, you know, frustrated uh, sometimes when I come out of a session or whatever. And I think that, yeah, I feel like, ah, oh, man, I shouldn't be feeling like I'm, am I, should I prefer this person out? Like, am I doing bad therapy? Am I not doing a good job because I'm frustrated after this session? And I think that's, that's not always the case. I mean, we're human too. Awesome. Thank you so much, Stevon, for jumping into this conversation with us and being able to kind of help us further along the ability to move this into a productive space. So where can people find out more about you and your practice? Uh, I have a website. It's Stevon Lewis, S-T-E-V-O-N, uh, last name Lewis, L-E-W-I-S dot com. Um, and you can find me on like Instagram at Stevon Lewis MFT or Twitter at Stevon Lewis MFT. And we'll include links to all of that in our show notes. Once again, our website is mtsgpodcast.com. And please join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group. We'd love to hear your feedback on this episode and any of our other topics, as well as suggestions for future episodes. And please come out and join us on October 18th and 19th for the Therapy Reimagined 2019 conference. It's going to be here in Los Angeles and We'd love to have you come out and be a part of the Modern Therapist discussion in person. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy and Stephon Lewis. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 